This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Julie Jewels. I just found out this week that my latest audiobook, Malicious Mischief... The fourth in the Hannah and Tamar mystery series is currently ranked number one of the new audiobook releases for teen fiction in the subgenre of bullying. I know it's way down there, but still, I'll take the number one. Spoiler alert, it's about bullying. The authors, Chris Nardi and Cassidy Salem, are ready with the Hannah and Tamar book five, so I'll be starting on that soon. I was visiting a close friend last weekend. She happens to have a 20-something-year-old son who I haven't seen since before times. I've known this guy since he was two years old, so I love him. We were just sitting there having a chat, and he came in, and I asked if he was planning on going to the Pride Parade on Sunday, and I was a bit surprised with his reaction. No way does he want to see someone dancing half-naked in booty shorts. And it didn't stop there. That's disgusting. It's horrific for children to see. Children shouldn't be seeing that. They're teaching children at school to question their gender identity. It's gone too far. It's gone so far that some schools are providing litter boxes for children who identify as cats. Why should we have a Pride Month, a parade? There's nothing celebrating straight people and etc. You get the picture. I think he certainly never identified as gay. The only reason I ask is the parade is a lot of fun. It's not exclusive to LGBTQ plus people, so Abe and I have gone quite a few times. And you know, I normally would not engage when someone takes that kind of a position, particularly old people. 
certainly gay and trans people existed when I was young, when people older than I am were young, for millennia. It's just that society was in denial about it, and they had to keep it a secret. But anyway, like I said, I love this young man, and I thought, oh, no. He's our future, and his brain is still figuring out a lot, so... Whether I should have or not, I don't know, but I went there. Trevor, I said gently. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember my exact words. The curriculum is not actively teaching children to reassess their gender identity. The intent is to help them accept differences so that the ones who are already questioning their sexuality or gender identity don't feel like a freak and to hopefully promote empathy and prevent bullying, ideally. Why do we celebrate pride and we don't have straight parades? Because LGTBQ plus people have been arrested, incarcerated, lost their jobs, forced to hide who they love, rejected by friends and family, beaten, killed, all of which has never happened to a cis-heterosexual person because of their gender or sexuality. Well, It has happened to women because of their gender. But that's a different thing. Dancing half-naked in booty shorts? Children are already inundated with sexual images in film, TV, the internet, popular culture, billboards. And though I do think that's a little much, maybe the reason I think that is due to the societal construct in which I was raised. I think people are a lot more relaxed about nudity and sexuality in a lot of European countries. Who says they're wrong? It's a natural part of human life. We shouldn't be so hung up about it. And I do think children are much more affected by the adult's reactions than the action itself. One of the things he said was that if he saw a topless woman and he had a child with him, he'd go, oh no, and cover the child's eyes. Well, I think we need to relax about breasts. Why are men's nipples okay and women's aren't? I've talked about that before. And probably part of the reason children seldom tell anyone if someone sexually assaults them is because they've figured out very early on that the adults are very uncomfortable talking about sex. I mean, fine. I get that people don't necessarily want their children to see half-naked grown men dancing in booty shorts. So they can choose not to attend the festivities. But I can tell you, having attended myself, I've honestly never seen anything that I would have considered offensive. I happen to think the unmitigated joy of the Pride weekend is uplifting. And that children are more harmed by depictions of violence than sexuality. Trevor disagreed with all of this. He believes it's more harmful for children to see sexuality than violence. Ah, well, what to do? I'm sure a 20-something man isn't particularly interested in what an old woman has to say about these things. But the intensity of his reaction was a bit concerning to me. I'm, I'm a bit concerned that he might be falling down an incel group rabbit hole. And I think it's sad that so many young men feel threatened by these societal changes. I genuinely don't understand how this hurts them. Anytime I've spoken with anyone about it, they don't express how it hurts them. They just express how they think the changes are wrong, 
they also tend to assert things that are absolutely not true. When I mention statistical probability of certain things to Trevor, his response was, well, statistics aren't 100%. No, they're not. I agree. One of the examples was the statistical probability of the perpetrators of violence being male. His response was that that was attacking men. And I said, but it's not attacking men. We know that most of you are great. We just also know that violence against men, women, and children is statistically more commonly perpetrated by men. Then he used the excuse of testosterone. And, and I pointed out to him, well, you're a man, you have testosterone, you've never raped or hurt anyone. I hope you understand that we are not attacking all men. We know that most of you are great. Denying the problem isn't going anywhere to solve it. Anyway, I genuinely don't understand how this hurts them. I, I would think, if anything, it frees them from the confines of traditional ideas about what masculinity is, which I think can make some men feel less than. We're trying to get to a world where men no longer need to wear boring clothes, need to be tough, in charge, the breadwinner. They're allowed emotions other than anger and stoicism. They're free to fail without judgment. So I don't understand it when it comes to gender expression, and I don't get it when it comes to equal rights for women, in particular reproductive rights. I've been feeling overwhelmingly sad about both the U.S. federal commitment to prevent states from enacting additional gun safety laws and the U.S. Supreme See You Next Tuesday's Roe v. Wade ruling. I know I'm in Canada, but I am under no illusion that we are immune from the rumbling volcano of sentiment that led to these decisions south of our border. And what comes next is part of my concern. Are we headed toward a Handmaid's Tale future? That story wasn't good for all the men either. It was only good for the men in power. You don't want that to be the future. And I am genuinely concerned. If you haven't seen the Handmaid's Tale series or one of the movies or read the book, which was published in 1985 by prolific award-winning Canadian author Margaret Atwood, it's definitely worth checking out. When the series came out, I didn't have whatever platform was airing it, but there was a lot of buzz, so I reread the book. I had read it years ago when it came out. It's largely a what-if story about what seems to be an impossible future. But that story does seem a little more chilling now than it did to me a few years ago. It seems less impossible. My good friend and yours, Canadian LA-based comedian Andrew Johnston, my guest in an earlier episode, if you haven't listened, check out Fun Friends Andrew Johnston. Andrew happens to be staying with us while he does some Toronto shows. And Andrew and I, of course, were chatting about these things. And I mentioned that I had read something. I don't recall whether it was an interview with or an essay written by Ms. Atwood some time ago. And what struck me was that she said everything in that book, everything, was taken from the real world somewhere at some point in time. 
and much of it from Western cultures. None of it was 100% made up. She pulled all of these events, attitudes, uh, government rules, and pulled them all together into a story that seems impossible, but if you look at the detail, it's all happened. Andrew and I got chatting about that, and it just so happens that he has already done a deep dive on this very thing. So I said, Andrew, would you talk about this in the podcast? And of course, Andrew said yes. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to Jewel Says. Hi, it is it is a pleasure to be back, and this time in the flesh. I know. Yeah. No, so much better. I'm so yeah. happy to see you in person. I'm so I'm thrilled to see you in person. First question. How were the Pride festivities? The Pride festivities were fantastic. You could tell that everyone was really itching for them after two years of not having them. The parade itself was, I guess, less corporatized, but still just endlessly long. I was staying at a hotel this weekend that was overlooking Young Street where the parade marches by. And, oh boy, yeah, no, from 2 p.m. until well after, until about 7, it was just, it was nonstop. But it was it was great. It was just a real vibe in the air. You could tell everyone just had a lot of, a lot of ants to get out of their pants or well, into their pants. <laughs> but what I like, I mean, I think it's joyous. Abe and I have been to Pride a few times, and we've always said, damn it, next time we're going to rent a hotel room so that we can, number one, overlook it, but even just to have a pit stop to mm-hmm. use the washroom yeah. or whatever. I just yeah. think it would be great. No, that is why you really need to know a friend in the village so you can say, knock, 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 oh, toilet yes. time. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the absence of a friend, hotel room. Yeah. Anyway, as you and I were talking about the yes, other night, we yes. were talking about the Supreme See You Next Tuesday's decision <sighs> on Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we start talking about Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found interesting is everything in that book is real. Mm-hmm. It's taken from real life. It so happens you've done a deep dive. I have done a deep dive, and then I just, prior to doing this, did a deeper dive and actually read a Penguin Press interview with Margaret Atwood that was taken at the release of her sequel to Handmaid's Tale, which if your listeners haven't read. And By the way, I want to preface this right now and say that I listen to podcasts all the time, usually pop cultural ones, where the people are blanking on names, dates, places, things, and I get very angry, and I, <laughs> I yell out about them because I know what they're drawing a blank on, which I think is incredibly basic. So if there are any history buffs out there, I am bound to conflate things and misremember things and misreport things. So I apologize for that. Anyway, so with Margaret Atwood at the release of her sequel to Handmaid's Tale, The Testaments, I believe it was called, in 2019, she went back to U of T where her archives for Handmaid's Tale are kept and rifled through these boxes and she has all of these clippings laminated. And she just rifles through them and said, yeah, so this right here, that's not... Really horrible Margaret Atwood impression. It's just a meek Canadian accent. But yeah, so (laughs) she she just kept on pulling these things out and and it was kind of stunning just reading this now because Margaret Atwood, yes, based everything on real life events, but also she just says None of this is surprising right now. This has always been going on. It's just a tug of war. You just have these sort of peaks and valleys. But she said, no, but back in the 80s, like, there was a lot of white supremacy. Like, the KKK was very, this would have been like the Proud Boys right now and and everything. Like, apparently this has always been going on. I mean, I'm too young to remember, to be conscious in the 80s, really, Um, or 90s, I guess, but... 
But, you know, like what is happening right now is just no different than what's been going on. But I think that they're feeling the pinch a bit more because, you know, white supremacy is legitimately in danger for the first time in the modern era. And so that is why we're in jeopardy, I should say. (laughs) Well, I feel as you mean white supremacists Mm -hmm. feel that their position of power is in jeopardy. That's why all that that's the fundamental. I think that we've spoken about the fact why why I think homophobia exists. And I just, I always say that it's as simple as this. Gay men turn the male gaze, the sa- sacred male gaze back on itself. Mm-hmm. That's quite simply, there is just, there's no other there there. That's why. And right now, all of this is happening because white supremacy, there is the white majority, it's on its way out. That's literally what you yeah. can trace everything by to what is happening right now with this ruling class, why they are so desperate to enact all these things to preserve it. And, you know, like I always say to younger people that I know who are just saying, like, why would they do this? You know, why are they are they operating in bad faith? I say, of course they are. But did you think this was going to be easy toppling white supremacy? No. no. So stop thinking that anyone is acting in good faith. They are all acting in bad faith. And. And yeah, so we are we are approaching Handmaid's Tale territory. Now. Yeah. I do think, though, that those people genuinely believe that they are being wronged. Of course, right? I mean, that's the part that I find, of course, just so hard to believe. Do you remember there was a clip or the thing? It happened very, very soon after the pandemic hit. There was a white woman in New York City in the Ramble section of Central Park, and. A man was there birding, and he said, there are no off-leash dogs allowed here. And I then remember. she said, I'm going to call the cops and say an African-American is harassing me. And he was like, you do that. I'm going to keep on taping this. But you saw her get more and more frantic, and I, I recognized that behavior in people that I know. And she, at that moment, convinced herself that she was in danger. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. you saw that you saw that go on where she she weaponized it at first, but by the end of that, she was deadly convinced that she was in danger from this African American man. And yeah, so to your point, that's one hundred percent true, yeah. So what are some of the things that actually happen? So, do you know detail? Yeah. Yes, I do. So the one thing that I want to say about Handmaid's Tale about why it is a little far fetched now is the big kicker in that is that fertility rates in Margaret Atwood's universe had dropped off perilously low. And that's not happening so far here, you know, on Earth. Like, you know, people are still breeding like rabbits, (laughs) Um, you know, relatively. But yeah, no, in The Handmaid's Tale, I mean, in season one, you see the Mexican attache come there and she says to Offred, she said, do you know that there has not been a child born in my, like the city that I was born in, there has not been a child born there in 24 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's not happening. So we're not at a risk of sort of like the, you know, that, sorry. Well, no, you were mid-sentence. That isn't happening. But Mm -hmm. I think there are people, white people specifically, who are concerned that the white birth rate Mm -hmm. is dropping. And it's because we're choosing not to have as many children. Absolutely. Amy Coney Barrett, who is a real-life Serena Joy from there, who is the the conservative justice who literally just ripped that seat out of Ruth Ginsburg's, like, dead hands, she has said that we need a domestic supply of infants, she she yes. said that. Yeah, she said I that. There's that. no more saying the quiet no, part quietly. It's all out that. loud. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of what's scary is because yep. it seems like the things that were there mm-hmm. became unacceptable and now they have a voice and yep. they're considered acceptable yep. by a lot of people. Abs- uh, well, 
a minority, but a very a very loud minority. a loud minority who has who has a conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court who does determine these laws of the land right now. That said, well, I mean, I have all sorts of speculations about what I think are going to happen. For instance, I do think before the end of this decade, the Supreme Court is going to be abolished. I just, I think it's it's losing credibility by the day. Right now, 25% of the Americans think, approve of the Supreme Court. So yeah. I think that, I, you know, things, listen, push and pull. It's a push and pull, and, and it's and always it been a push time, and pull. And it takes time, and progress is never linear. No. Well, and the reason that we are doing this right now, the reason that we feel like we're in so, we're so backwards is because we were making such progress. Yeah. We were, ma- we were that close. Yeah. We weren't far from it. That's the thing that people, you know, maybe misunderstand sometimes or, or don't understand just that, no, we were very close. That's why we have now. It really is Paul Abdul and MC Scat Cat, two steps <laughs> forward, one steps back, you know. And so, but the, the thing, the forced birth thing is, so a lot of The Handmaid's Tale was drawn from Nazi Germany. And the rise of the Nazi party. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the force, so the, the Nazis were bioengineering, you know, of course, the Aryan race. Mm-hmm. And they were doing forced births to create Aryans within Germany. But the, the forced birth thing is specifically inspired by something I, I'm not going to get his name right. It's like Churashkow or something like that, a Romanian mm-hmm. communist dictator. Ceausescu. There you go. Okay, yeah. So I, <laughs> I yeah. just, I was like, I'm never going to remember that name. Well, but, I'm probably pronouncing yeah, it yeah. wrong. No, I think that you are. Yeah, I even looked up how to pronounce it, and yeah, I was like, I wouldn't have arrived it's close. at that. Yeah, <laughs> but so. There was a four-child policy, and so women needed to have a pregnancy test every month. And if they weren't pregnant, they needed to explain why or else they were imprisoned. Holy shit. Yeah. So that is, I think, the closest thing to the forced birth thing. The thing – so the thing that I was always very interested in is just how the sort of martial law can be imposed, you know, one day or another. Because in The Handmaid's Tale, it's a a collective. And I think she drew a lot of inspiration from fundamentalist Mormons. Yes. Polygamous Mormons. So the closest thing would be like if there was a very dominant Mormon sect, which there isn't. Like there, there yeah. isn't, there yeah. isn't, there, you know, that is, that is a cult that would, they would be considered a cult. It would be like Scientologists aren't going to take over the country, you know, like there's no. just, there's not enough of them. No. But there would, there was something like in the book, she does specify that 30% of Americans were behind this cause and that's enough. And that's also probably the MAGA crew, you know, it's under 40%, right? Yeah. But it is far off from from a 50-50 sort of thing. Yeah. But that is enough for, you know, that sort of, that minority to take over. But so... Well, uh, and with yeah. voter suppression and gerrymandering yeah. and all those oh, other yeah, things, yeah. it's very easy for a yeah. minority of people to oh, yeah. gain oh, yeah. control. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But... um so it would be like as if fundamentalist Mormons, like there's just this Netflix documentary called uh, Keep Sweet and Pray and Obey about Warren Jeffs, that ghoulish Mormon prophet or whatever, mm-hmm. who is still controlling a sect of people from a life sentence behind bars. But that's neither here nor there. So it'd be like if they rallied and they were able to, I guess it would have been, it would have been in a state of the union or something, assassinate the president, the entire cabinet, and all of Congress. So the Senate, Congress, suspend the Constitution and impose martial law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Now, also in the book, I believe, or maybe she's clarified this since, there was a civil war going on, right? Yes. And in the show, if you have watched last season, are you up to snuff on him? I haven't Tale? watched the last season. Beyond to season one. So she really, the the universe is very expanded and Margaret Atwood has had a hand in this. So she signed off on, on this. So you see at one point, and I'm sorry, spoiler alert right now for Handmaid's Tale if you're not up to snuff so far. June escapes to Chicago where mm-hmm. there is still a civil war afoot, right? And then, yeah. for instance, in California, that was apparently where then-Vice President Reagan was sent in exile, and they had nuked a bunch of things. But ca- the West was still very much rebel-held territory. And then apparently in the book, and this is very funny because she paints the Southern Baptists and their, you know, penchant for guns as a resistance movement to the Sons of Jacob, where I'm like, oh, no, oh. actually, these are these, these are the are people. These are the Sons of Jacob. These are the Sons of Jacob <laughs> yeah. right now. So I found that very interesting. Okay. But so you have all these rebel-held pockets in the South and the West and the North along the Canadian border where people are armed and they're still able to stand their ground to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I would find it quite hard to believe in this era that you could you could stage a mass <laughs> a mass domestic terrorist attack on the whole of Congress. Well, but. I do think this certainly points out that we need to not take the recently gained rights that we have certainly not, yeah. for granted. And yeah. that would include oh, marriage, heavens, yeah. that would include reproductive rights, even yeah. even as far as birth control yeah. accessibility. There, there was a very chilling scene in uh, one of the, I don't think it was in season one, but it was a flashback to the character of Emily, played by Alexis Bledel, who will not be back for the fifth and final season because she refused to get vaccinated. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and I guess that's a that's a mandate for the show. But also, Elizabeth Moss is a Scientologist. They are not vaccinated, so I don't know how that's working. In any event, you she, can always get away with you, stuff if you're famous. I enough, guess if you're the star enough. and the EP of that, whatever. Or maybe I'm, she broke yeah. the Scientology yeah, rule. Maybe, you know, maybe. But, we don't know. But so there's a scene in which they're at the airport. It was, she's there with her wife and their son, and they are trying to flee to Canada. And she's detained. And she said, well, no, I'm I'm Canadian by marriage. And they say, well, no, your marriage is invalidated now. That would be pretty fucking scary. 
Because I, I, I do have this conversation with friends of mine down in L.A., or I, I've made this a bit sort of thing where I'm like, yes, we are approaching peak Handmaid's Tale territory now, but I'm Canadian, so I'm not dying in this country. I still have a Canadian bank account. It's my funds can be frozen here, but oh, I still have I'll still have money in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Because and that because that's the other thing is that like all women's bank accounts were frozen. Yes. And so. Because she was also very... And their jobs. Yeah. They had to just walk away yeah, from their well, jobs. Yeah, and she just walked out of the CBC building downtown, which <laughs> that's where that scene was shot. But that is... Uh, she, Margaret Atwood was also incredibly prophetic about the way that we pay for things because she she kind of foretold the idea of debit cards. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Computo Banks. Because there was no such thing in 1984 no. when no. she wrote the book. No, you need to go to a teller and get yeah. cash and cash checks and this and that. But so... Basically, everyone would pay for things by card, and that was how they were able to completely just freeze and nullify every single woman's bank account. And so that was very prophetic of her back then. Yeah, so the um, she a lot of it was Nazi Germany about like the Nazis taking over and the the agitprop or whatever or whatever that fake false flag operation yes. where and then that's how they actually rose to power again in Nazi Germany. I think thirty percent of the country was behind them. Like you had a thirty percent sort of white na- ethno nationalist party, which in... to me is astonishing that thirty percent like that's still oh, a I know. high percentage oh, I know. even if it's not a majority. I know. Yeah, and I follow Auschwitz Museum on Twitter. Just because those tweets name the people, show photographs of them, children, human beings, and it's just something for me to reflect upon. Absolutely. And and I think these this is why history, a knowledge of history is so important. It's not about the dates. It's about the impact on the human beings. Mm-hmm. And, it and, repeats and, and, itself. and the threat of it repeating itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing that's very eerie about that is, you know, I don't know how much you know about the rise of Hitler, but the rise of the Nazi Party, they they did have a trial run that failed miserably. Hitler was imprisoned, you know, like they in Downton Abbey. I don't know. Were you a Downton Abbey? Fan? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So so Lady Edith, poor <laughs> Bo, Michael Gregson, who she had an illegitimate child with, he went to Germany to get a divorce because that's where you could get them back in the day. And he had a skirmish with brown shirts. And he was killed, oh, you know, but yes, then they yes. said, they said, well, at least the, the person at the, at the head of them, he's, he's in jail now. So we don't need to worry about them anymore. And that mm. was in the twenties. And then, so that's why this whole, when you look at sort of Trumpism and you look at the insurrection and you look at them trying to stage that coup and how that dry run again was bumbling and whatever. Oh, they took notes. Oh, they're going to course correct. They're go- yeah. They will be attempting this yeah. again and they might be successful. So that's something to to watch, to keep an eye on, it I guess. It is something. I mean, yeah. and I think a lot of people have thrown their hands up and said, I'm not yeah. even going to bother voting. I give up. Yeah. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. And even though it may not seem to affect us as individuals in the short term, I still think it's important because it's... I do we, think that Roe v. Wade being overturned is going to have a motivating effect for disillusioned Democrats and independents. I, I do think so. And you know what? This is the thing, though. Ugh, I'm sort of at a point in life where I think if it doesn't, I guess we get what's coming to us. You know, I guess that that's just, I guess that's just the way the cookie is going to fucking crumble. If that's not something that's going to motivate you to go out and vote, I guess, I guess you're going to get what you deserve. So... I don't know. The other thing is uh, she was very largely the Arab Spring of the late 70s, Mm -hmm. where women went from quite professional modern lives one day to, uh, you know, hijabs and, and, uh, you know, niqabs the next. And that... Was that 
in the 70s? I think so, in the late 70s. Okay. Yeah, a, fr- a friend of mine, Salman Hindi. And then Hindi, there was another Arab Spring yeah. more recently. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But the, the Iranian Revolution and uh, that, you know, a, a friend of mine is, is – uh, and she's from Egypt where it was a parallel – because she used to wear, you know, a head wrap. And then she kind of like, she spoke with her parents about it and about, found out that, you know, they were very, you know, modern before this and everything. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, the more she looked about this, she's like, oh, this isn't religious. This is political. It and is. And so she stopped wearing it. Now she's, yeah. Now she's crop tops and, you know. Well, I knew a guy back in the 70s who his, he came from a military family and his dad, he lived with his dad in Iran. Mm-hmm. That was his favorite country in the world. And mm-hmm. it was, of course, very, very modern and beautiful yeah. back then. Yeah. I've seen pictures from Afghanistan and a lot of those countries where they were quite modernized. It baffles me, though, that people can openly criticize Sharia law and then try to implement religious law under the guise of Christianity. Well, guess what? They don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care they are acting in 100% bad faith. There is just, when people try and point out the hypocrisy of conservatives and stuff like that, I'm like, you are wasting your breath. They are not acting in good faith. So they don't care what they are saying. They will say whatever they need to in that second. Hypocrisy, like I always say, like, if hypocrisy was illegal, we that would be utopia. Like if there was some sort of way to codify hypocrisy, Lying, or yeah. Something well, like you that. know, somebody twists that too. Yeah, but anyway. sure. Okay. But anyway, but no, but it's it's one hundred percent true. Yeah. So you're hopeful that we're not actually headed to a Handmaid's Tale like dystopia because the birth rate has not fallen off a cliff. That's the one sort of science fictional aspect of that. Yeah, so yeah. that's the one thing that does make, as far as I'm concerned, The Handmaid's Tale not a <laughs> soothsaying or whatever. Like it, That's what does still separate it into the realm of science fiction, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, she was also very inspired by the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, yes. Of course, um, which... My goodness. I mean, that's that's in another podcast unto itself. Like, do you yeah. know how much do you know about the Salem Witch Trials? I know enough to know of them and know well. It's very interesting because at the at the core of it, it was some teenage girls who wanted attention. Yes. Who were basking in attention. You mean teenage they, girls were like that? Yeah. Back then? Can you believe that? Okay. Yeah. Literally teenage <laughs> this girls. This is not a modern phenomenon. Playing three way phone, <laughs> you know, tag, yeah. whatever that thing in Mean Girls was. Um, my first three-way call attack. It's but, part of the emotional yeah. and social development. It really Give is. the kids a break, people. Yeah, yeah. And so they they just kept on making things up. They yeah. or they just they just kept on embellishing to the point of, and a lot of women died. But a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot of them died, and some of them didn't though. Some of them survived. Uh, like the one Mary Webster, who she was very like that was sort of a basis for Offred. No, she survived and. Okay, I won't spoil things for her. But I don't, listening. you know, I don't believe. I know you don't, I don't believe, believe in spoiler alerts. Because Earmuffs right now. It's the telling yeah. of the story that matters. Yeah, Alfred does survive. You know, I mean, yes, the star and principal of a show and executive producer. Yeah, she's probably going to make it. So. Oh know. yeah, she's yeah. also executive producer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well yeah. then she can decide whether yeah. or not to get vaccinated, yeah. regardless. Of well, that. yes, I'm sure there was a call to the consulate, and it was just kind of like, do you want the show to shut down, or would you want this money? So mm. I'm sure. Hypocrisy. Whereas, well, right. Yeah. <laughs> which in a utopia would be illegal, but <laughs> and punishable by death. No, 
when we're circling back to the Roe v. Wade thing right now being overturned, uh, and we, we were having a conversation about this last night, the, the, the sort of blessing and curse of the states, more of a curse, but somewhat of a blessing is that the states, they are the United States. They have a lot of rights within states, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Women in these red states, these deep red states, no, it's that's going to that's going to be calamitous for them. But women in California and New York and Illinois and Vermont, they're going to be able to get abortions. So you're not going to have some Trump 2.0 or Trump 1.0 come back into office and and federally criminalize abortion. That's just not going to happen. And even right now in California, people are there are many funds to have women travel across state lines and yeah, stuff for this. Yeah. So that's going to be... Because yeah. my concern is really for the people who don't have the means, mm-hmm. people who are in a, an abusive situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the last thing they need is another baby. Yeah. Or people who have a pregnancy that's just not viable. I mean, we all know people who have been touched by this, you know, very yeah. close people to us who... This is not a decision that is made fancy free and willy nilly. No, like this is, is a very difficult decision. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, and it just, no, uh, same sex marriage is 100% next. 100% next. That said, I'm just like, I'm old enough where I remember when this wasn't easy. So I'm not surprised. It's just like, great. And you're so More, young. I mean, somewhat, you know, I'm I'm at a real blanket generation where, you know, I can remember a little thing. I can remember what things were like before. Because I remember not even knowing that gay sexuality existed. I didn't even yeah. know it existed yeah. at my, when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And then I knew someone who I used to babysit him Aww. when he was two years old. He would be about 10 years younger than I am, maybe 12, but younger than I am. And he transitioned as a teen. He knew. Mm-hmm. He transitioned. Now, you imagine someone who was born in 1972, how challenging that had to have been. I mean, that's not something that somebody put in his head. Yeah. That's something that he had to wrestle with yeah. and grapple with. I, I can't imagine life. that anyone who I'm about to speak to or speak about is going to listen to this just because they wouldn't know how to access podcasts. But my former godfather is now my second godmother who transitioned in her 60s. And I remember my my mother, of course, has – she's you know a psychiatric nurse, so she – she can think critically and yes. she, you know, and so, but my father, it was, it was completely, you know, he was just like, I'll never speak to him again. And I'm like, you'll never speak to her again. And it is her. And I cannot imagine living in that body for that long. No. Nope. Like, do you nope. know the private hell that she was going through for but, 60 years? This is what I can't imagine because I've always felt like a girl, yeah. always felt like a woman. I cannot even imagine. And this guy I'm talking about knew when he was a kid. Yeah. His dad asked him when he was 13 or 14 because he started taking on a very androgynous look. Uh-huh. And he said to him, can you imagine having this self-reflective insight at that age? Are you gay? I mean, I knew when I was four. Okay, but she said, well, of course, like I knew when I was four that I had Mm -hmm. special feelings for boys. Absolutely. I knew nothing about sex, but I knew that I had special feelings for boys. You know when you're little before you even know it. I always responded to the culture before I responded to anything like sexual or romantic. Well, but then again, you know, in the olden days, all the cartoons and everything really, maybe still, children's content is, there's very, like Pepe Le Pew. 
Yeah. He was an, an absolute sex assault. Vanity Smurf was <laughs> was was queer representation. Oh. Um, there were, no, I mean you could just but there tell. Were yeah. sexual, there was sexual content and it was always cis oh, yeah. pet oh, yeah. sexual content. When I was a kid, we didn't recognize it as such. It was just a normal part of society. But this guy at 13 or 14 said, I'm not gay, but I'm attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's a pretty insightful thing for a kid in an era when you didn't even hear of transgender. I, I don't know where he would have gotten or where they would have gotten the, the language at all. And so that's exactly. very commendable. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. So he, thankfully for his life, transitioned young enough. I mean, if you met him now, you would just, he's a man. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting because uh, re- regarding trans people, the thing that I remember having a sort of aha moment about years ago is... That I, that I hadn't considered before this is just, you know, I can sort of understand about being certainly born in the wrong sort of being socialized to yes. the saying that boys do this, boys like yeah. girl, whatever, and about how much that, you know. Boys don't watch boys Gem and don't the Holograms. Boys don't watch Gem and Holograms. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> truly outrageous. But so, <laughs> truly. But so that was sort of the extent that I thought about it. It's just like, oh, you're in the wrong skin. The thing that I didn't consider and that, like, you'll really understand is that not only are you born in the wrong body, you grow up with the same dysmorphia. Mm. Like, you grow up looking at, you know, Heather Locklear or whatever and being like, not only am I in the wrong body, but, like, I'm getting dysmorphia from not looking like that. Right. You know? Right. And just so if you picture how yeah. it is a miracle that any trans person ever survives, really, because that is that is psychological warfare. Well, and this is why I think it's fine to teach small children that they exist. Yes. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than growing up feeling when you're a child like you're a freak. Yeah. And an outsider and nobody cares about you. I also think that that point had tipped and that's really terrified sort of the white ruling classes that they've seen now. Some staggering number like close to 30% of uh, 12 to 17 year olds identify as queer. Right. That but, is... but but when you're 12 to 17, you could be still in a state of exploration and well, flux. Yes. And if you end up queer, fine. Who knows what the statistic is because it's always been underreported. Uh-huh. People have always had to hide it. Yeah. Maybe all along it was that percentage. And because you were arrested or thrown in jail or beaten or killed. And I think a lot of people are protesting so hard because they're having those feelings themselves and it's a way for them to mm-hmm. punch it down. Yep, yep. Methinks thou dost protest too uh-huh, much. Uh-huh. There's definitely an element mm-hmm. of that. But it's also incredibly cynical punching down. Okay, well, this is a minority that's small enough mm-hmm. that we can demonize. Yeah. Like, that they are still such the minority that, that we can play whack-a-mole with them. Yeah. And that's going to appeal to our base and that's going to get us money. So mm. I, I, so that's that's a cynical thing, and you know I'll see all these people in hell, and we'll have a great time. Yeah. You know, well they won't, but I will, and you know, <laughs> but in the meantime, yeah, no, it's very. So that war is raging, and that war that war is certainly nowhere near at its head. But I I do come from a time where no, it, I'm at the very tail end of kind of like when it was incredibly taboo, when it was incredibly outre, and overnight it became passe. And if we're going back to outre. Cool. I will still keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, so, but it's just for for anyone who has grown up with, you know, 
marginal oppression <laughs> or any queer person who is, you know, doesn't know that you're about to. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. it's uh, uh well, yeah. I still I think it's unfortunate. Anyway, tell the people where you're performing in the next few weeks. You've got some Toronto shows. Uh oh yeah, I next Thursday I've got two shows at Comedy Bar, Left Sabbath and The Pro Show or whatever, and that's kind of all I'm doing. I'm here. This is oh, my good. vacation. So it's a vacation, Yeah. Too. And then Roast Battle, my second episode of Roast Battle um, Canada premieres on CTV Comedy on the Monday the 11th at 10.30 p.m. And I think you can stream my current episode right now on the CTV app. Well, I haven't seen it yet, so I no, must I, do. Yes. My I mother did. That. Oh, boy. Did she and like it? She did, yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Good. <laughs> I love your mom. I know. She loves you. Anyway, thank you, thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you, Julie. I thank you. I always enjoy chatting oh, with you. Oh, anytime. And I really love your insight on If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.